Lifestyle choices and environmental factors impact your brain health and the physiology and psychology of your mental health. When you're ready to turn your brain on to get your game on, listen to In Your Head Radio. Now here's your host, Lee Richardson. We've got a great show today. I've got two ladies that are experts, and they're experts at mindful aging. And there's one thing for sure. We're all aging. We're all going to get grow older and live longer. So Amanda Lambert has worked in elder-related services for over 20 years. She has coordinated an elder hostel program in New Hampshire, Hampshire. And this led her to a career defined by a passion for working with elders in a variety of settings, including mental health, home health, and currently as a geriatric care manager and professional guardian. She is certified as an advanced aging life care specialist through the Aging Life Care Association, a nationally certified master guardian, and a care manager certified issued by the National Academy of Certified Care Managers. She holds a bachelor's degree in English and psychology and a master of science in therapeutic recreation. She's written two books with Leslie. They've written a book, Beating the Senior Blues, How to Feel Better and Enjoy Life Again, and Aging with Care. She, they are very inspired and interested, and both of them are, about the aging process. Um, Amanda, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here, Lee. Thank you so much for having us. My pleasure. And let me tell you, everybody, a little bit about Leslie, because she comes at it from a different perspective. She grew up with a practical example of how older adults stay in their own homes. Her grandparents attached an apartment to their own home so that their widowed and unmarried siblings could live there. And they all grew old together as a family. As a nurse and a licensed clinical social worker, she specializes in geriatric mental health. She has encouraged people to stay at home whenever possible. Over the years, she's worked with some incredible caregivers and home aides and really appreciates the hard work that they do. Leslie's gone had her own personal experience when her parents were aging and how she could help them stay in their home. And it turned out to be a much bigger challenge than she thought it would. I actually had the same experience. It never works out just like we think it will. But I think, you know, Leslie would probably be the first to tell us she learned the hard way, the challenges that, that there's associated with finding care for elders. And that she understands the process of hiring and, and having caregivers in a family home. It's just a work in progress. So thank you, Leslie. Thanks for being with us today. Thank you, Lee. I'm really happy to be here with you all today. You know, and, and you two ladies are so interesting to me because you have such a different perception of aging. When you talk about getting old, people think, oh, you're going to get old. You're not going to have a purse purpose in life, you know, you're underutilized, you have nothing to do. Those are really old stereotypes. And the way that you two come at aging with care is a totally different approach. So tell me a little bit, back. tell me more about that. I would well, love Amanda. to. I, oh. <laughs> go ahead, Amanda. Go ahead, Leslie. No, you go ahead, Leslie. So you know, that has become, especially coming from a mental health point of view, and I've worked with 
um, all ages, from teenagers to young adults to uh, working adults and aging adults. But I have to say aging adults are my most favorite because they have such a wealth of experience and when they encounter a mental health issue such as depression or anxiety, they have that underlying strength and experience to deal with it. They just have to get in touch with it. And so I rarely meet a person who's in advanced age who I don't see as a person with a wealth of power to deal with issues in life. Well, I would agree with that mostly um, because I do <laughs> run into some people, some people who, who seem to have just, you know, given up, I guess. And, and I think much of that is, is what Leslie is talking about. I think people have the internal, they have the internal ability and power to change their lives, to, uh, to become more motivated, but I think sometimes they just need help. Um, some people are just not able to do it on their own. I mean, whether it's a physical therapist or a nurse or a mental health therapist, sometimes people just need that, that extra nudge, and they need a path uh, to go on. They need, they need goals, and they need the tiny steps that it takes to recover from a catastrophic illness or from a fall or even from, let's say, a pandemic, um, which is what we're going through right now. And I know we'll probably talk a little bit about that later. But I, I do agree with Leslie, but I have met some folks who just who struggle to make that happen. So I think the reserves are there. I think sometimes people just need some assistance to, to access that. Well, you know, and I think that a lot of that has to do with the physical changes, the physical health changes that occur as we age, and how the brain changes. You know, it's the brain's not fully developed until you're in your mid to late 20s, and then it starts to plateau at 40. And so by the time we're 50, we are experiencing, you know, not normal cognitive decline. But that makes us feel, I think, sometimes that we can't do things instead of thinking, okay, this is something I need to work on. I need, you know, you got to work that brain just like you got to work that body. But I think that that has a lot to do with it and depression among older adults is certainly on the increase as is anxiety. You know, when, when I start thinking about, as I went through with my mom, you know, all the decisions that you have to make, how do you, my gosh, how do you, you know, figure that out? And we're not just the financial estate planning. I mean, and this is, this is the area where you ladies really bring a lot of information. You know about community resources. I mean, what's the first piece of advice that you give someone that's trying to make this decision? I think, you know, I, I think overwhelmingly, I want to say to the people in the audience who are older than 65 right now, is it's time to expand your team. And by that, I mean, especially people who are parents of adult children who are used to being the, the role model, the parent model, it's time now to share responsibility. And that is a super hard 
decision to make and to do. Um, however, I think you will make everybody in your family's life easier if you gather people together and have a sit down and say, I'm doing pretty well right now, but these are the things that I want in the future and I want to make sure that you know as much as you can about what my needs are financially, physically, spiritually, emotionally, and share that. Don't expect yourself to be able to take care of it by yourself as you age and enjoying your family members, maybe into a role that's new for them. Um, and it's, it can be a little bumpy, <laughs> um, but that you would be doing everybody and particularly yourself a favor by doing that sooner rather than later. And if you're on the other side, if you're on the other side and you're an adult child of a parent who you're just, maybe your awareness of some changes that are starting to happen. They're still themselves. They're still someone that you love and appreciate, but you're seeing some changes it's really, really hard for that adult child to step in and say, hey, how about we, we talk about this? Because it's, it's hard to give up that child role, too. Well, it is, and I think it's hard, you know, when you're, you listen to your mom and she say, or your dad, and they say the same thing three or four times within a five-minute phone conversation, and then they call you back to tell you the same thing. I mean, it's hard to say, hey, are you losing it? You know, you've told me this now five times. Um, I, I know I That's would a have a hard time thing. with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is. Yeah. And really, really and I, hard. You know, and I think what Leslie is, is saying is just so important because most people jump into the planning phase when there's a crisis. When something happens, it's just human nature. But if you think about it, I mean, we all really should have advanced directives. Um, we should have a plan in place for our aging, regardless of whether we need it now or not, especially if we don't need it now. Because when people do this under stress, they sometimes don't make good decisions. And and for I think for for older people who have had a, an illness or an accident or who have developed dementia to the point where it's really difficult to make their needs known in a, in a reasonable fashion, it, it, it just makes it so much harder. Um, so pre-planning, I think, is, is really key. And I, and I just wanted to say something, um, Lee, because you mentioned depression and anxiety, and this is Leslie's area of expertise. But, you know, one of the things that I've really been amazed about with the pandemic is the availability now of um, teletherapy uh, through Medicare, which has really helped older people who are isolated and confined to their homes. And I think that's something that more people could and should take advantage of. I know sometimes the notion of therapy is kind of scary or unfamiliar, but I think that's been a really positive outcome of this. Yes, and it's really difficult in any time for older adults to access mental health care and um, the telehealth, it really can solve problems if, as an older person, you have 
some tech assistance. <laughs> there is nothing worse for an older person than to feel even more frustrated because they don't know how to get that Zoom call going or um, they don't know how to adjust their device to hear better. So they're really, I, I was just telling Amanda recently, I think that there needs to be a new industry of uh, mobile tech advisors who go to older adult homes to set up a device for them to have their telehealth and tele telemental health. Um, someone really should take advantage of this. <laughs> um, but I was talking to uh, a colleague who recently uh, dealt with someone who um, is in hospice, was in hospice, unfortunately. And she said that this person who was older really resisted having um, some counseling sessions with her, but um, some member of the family encouraged him and also helped set it up. And he told her how much better he felt because he really had a need to talk about things about his life that he hadn't had a chance to. And, um, and then after they had several sessions, uh, unfortunately, he did pass away. So it is also people assume that at a certain age, your need for mental health interventions it doesn't exist anymore. It's simply not true. Oh, I love that. I saw on your website about uh, sex for older people. Yes, they still have sex. <laughs> exactly. And you guys, the website you have, mindfulaging.com, has got so many good resources on there. One of the things that you mentioned is the AARP, the Long-Term Scorecard, to find out how individual states compare. Because I can't imagine... As my mom, we were at the critical time with my mom. She was in Dallas, and it was so much easier than my husband's mom because she was in North Carolina, and I had no idea. Luckily, he had a sister in North Carolina, and she carried that load for us. But when I saw that, a long-term scorecard that lets you know how your state is doing with Medicaid assistance, for home care, for things like that, I thought, how helpful that would be. Do you guys use that as part of your decision-making process? It's you know, really Lee, one I'm of so our glad secret you, weapons. Yeah, I'm Sorry, so glad Amanda. you mentioned that. Oh, that's okay. I'm so glad you mentioned that because there is no other resource out there, seriously, that I have found that compares what caregivers can do, that compares um, nursing homes to the AARP scorecard. I don't think anybody's put the time, money, and effort into the kind of research that it took uh, to produce this document. And, of course, you, put, you hit the nail on the head, Lee, when you said, you know, it completely depends on the state that you're in. I mean, here in Utah where we live, um, uh, paid caregivers can just do a minimum amount, whereas another state, they can actually literally provide, you know, medical care. Um, they can uh, manage catheters, they can do injections, they can do blood sugar checks. The reason this is so important for families is because they think, oh, well, I'm going to hire um, a caregiver or I'm going to have a, a CNA come in and help mom or dad, and then they find out that there's not that much that they can actually do. So it leaves a real gap in care. 
So what do you do? I mean, when you find out that the home health care can't provide the services that you need, because to me, that's almost forcing people to not be able to stay in their home. Well, I think the well, home we health benefit can work. I mean, the home health benefit under Medicare will provide everything that somebody needs, but only for a short term. Um, so we're talking a 30-day period, sometimes up to a 60-day period. It's when people need care beyond home health and they need somebody, they need to pay private caregivers to come into the home. That's where the gap is. And Leslie, okay. I don't know if you had, you were going to say something about that. Well, I also, you know, <clears throat> many years ago, I, I living in Virginia, I was a home health nurse, and I would go to people's homes to every socioeconomic uh, level, um, every different level of education, and I would teach family members to do uh, in-and-out catheters, to uh, set up pillboxes, to inject insulin. These were all things that we could teach family members, and yet many states do not allow a home health aid or a, a CNA, CNA a certified nurse assistant to do these very same things, even though they do have training. So it's, it's really state by state and what we have seen is that people have to be very creative. Many people uh, simply don't have a choice about whether or not their family member is at home or is in a nursing home, or they are trying very desperately to keep them out of a nursing home. So, you know, we've had people, you know, ask neighbors to step in to do certain tasks that the um, home health caregiver cannot provide. Um, maybe there's a, a family member who is willing to come in once a week to fill pill boxes, that kind of thing. So it, it is not, unfortunately, a perfect system at all. Yeah, and I would add to that that, as we know, family caregivers provide the bulk of care across the yes. country. And it disproportionately affects women, and what's happened is many women have had to leave the workforce in order to provide care. And families are providing that level of medical care, whether they should or shouldn't, they are. And, you know, AARP, back to AARP, they have a really great video series on specific tasks that family caregivers are being asked to provide for their loved ones. Because what's happening is mom or dad goes into the hospital, the hospital discharges them before the three days are up, so they're not qualified to go to to rehab, and they're basically expected to cover that level of care. And most of the time, they're, they're woefully unprepared to, to do the tasks that are being asked of them. And again, home health, you know, Medicare-covered home health can step in for a short period of time, but oftentimes people's needs just exceed that, that length of time. So... I, yeah, I think it is. It's it's just sort of the critical question that I think is affecting families. Well, and I think you know the times that we're living in right now, they're 
everyone is so stressed out. I cannot imagine having, you know, you're, you're, you have your family, your kids are going to school at home, you're working from home, you're worried about your parents, you're worried about them if they get in the car and drive over, are they going to remember how to get back home? I mean, that level of stress, I don't see how anybody can manage all of that very well. And everybody's worried about everybody else, you know. You're worried about your kids getting through school. You're worried about your parents. And what about you? That, to me, exactly. is, is those caregivers, because I've done it. And I'm so proud yeah. to say, I am so proud to say that I have done it. But it was hard. It's one of the hardest things I've ever done. Exactly. It is. And it takes such a toll um, you know, one of the things that I learned, well, I'm always learning things from uh, clients that I work with, but I've dealt with people who were family caregivers, often women who uh, were the primary caregiver for a spouse who had Alzheimer's. And even after the death of that spouse, the lingering effects of that stress, that exhaustion, that emotional uh, non-ending uh, turmoil for a lot of people. It's heartbreaking just the thought of being with your life partner who can no longer uh, take care of themselves, um, who can no longer remember who you are. Um, that in itself is heartbreaking, but the day-to-day -day toll of being the caregiver, the physical requirements, it's, it's just amazing. And, and I can remember one person in particular saying to me, I thought that after my husband died, I would be so relieved and I would feel so much better, but I feel worse. And, and that's, you know, a, was a person who was really suffering with, uh, a clinical depression and but was thankfully able to um, recover but it took a long time and yet our expectations of well snap out of it you know everything's fine now isn't it um, this this is a situation that has long-term consequences for people well and just the physical fatigue. I can remember, you know, at the end with my mom, it, you're just, because you're, I found myself going in circles. And I would have to say, okay, Lee, you know, calm down. You've checked that. You've done that. But you wear yourself out. And trying to make everything just right. And I finally came to, to accept the fact that it is what it is. And if I could look myself in the eye at the end of the day and say, hey, I did the best I could today, I was okay with that. And I'm sure that's something that you guys deal with with your clients on a regular basis. Exactly. Yes, and I, yeah. yeah, and, you know, I, I didn't want to – I wanted to just go back a minute, and I think that maybe your listeners, and I think this is very common, think about caregivers as being a, a certain age, you know, and a certain gender. But the fact of the matter is that millennials are growing in numbers, so it's really grandchildren as well that are becoming caregivers, 
you know, they're stepping in um, to help. And I, I think that that families, as you said, Lee, feel that enormous responsibility. I think where things get difficult is people have a hard time asking for help. I mean, if they're the primary caregiver and they're providing the bulk of the care, it, it can be hard even to ask another fam- family member to step in to, to, to trust your, your parent to another resource or another company. I think, I think that's hard for people. And, and there seems to be a point at which people feel that they get, it's almost like that sort of caregiver burnout feeling where you're not even aware of how much of a toll it's taking and you feel an enormous responsibility. You feel like you're the one who knows your parent best, which is true, parent or grandparent, and you're the one who can provide the best care and it can just be really hard to ask for assistance because there is assistance available. Well, and and that's another thing on your website I saw, some really great, you know, you've got a resource page and you talk about the different websites. The caregiver support website is the caregiver space. And there's different articles. And you also mention a website, dailycaring.com. And just knowing where to go for information. I love the Internet, but you can do good research on the Internet and you can do bad research on the Internet. And I think that just knowing some, you know, some trusted places that that you guys mention, payingforseniorcare.com um, to help connect families and elders with and their specific care needs with resources. That I think is invaluable because we never know exactly what to do, and I think we're overwhelmed when we start looking at too many options. And just having, okay, here's some trusted resources that I know I can go to, that I can trust. Um, I saw an article on your website from bankrate.com to help the family begin the process of finding financial solutions for care. So, and these are all things that every, it doesn't matter how much money you have or how little money you have. You still have to go through the decision-making process. You still have to do some estate planning. You still got to, you know, figure out who in the family is going to play the role of advocate because somebody has to. Who's going to be run the, the legal interference? There's so many different pieces of it. And I, as you both mentioned earlier, we tend to wait to, to, until we're in the middle of a crisis. And then we come in with a big intervention. And at that time, we're not performing at our best level. That's for sure. Um, and we're trying, we're, we're reacting to what's going on around us. And one of the things when we come back from break, I want to learn a little bit more about, you know, Aging with Care, because that's a book that my sense is that was put together with a lot of love, a lot of experience, a lot of, you know, Leslie, you talked about what you went through with, with your own parents. And when you go through it with your parents, you learn a lot. So we'll come back from break and we'll learn more about Aging with Care. We'll be back after these messages. 
If you could live your life truly standing in a place of peace, joy, and abundance, wouldn't that make your heart soar? Now you can, with Lessons in Joyful Living, with your host, Kimberly Rinaldi, Mondays at noon central. Kimberly Rinaldi, having created a highly successful coaching practice, now teaches Lessons in Joyful Living. She believes in empowering others and that through it, you have the ability to break through any and all barriers, thus allowing you to reach your greatest potential and joyfully step into your life's purpose. What used to take weeks, months, or even years, she can now teach you in a matter of hours with her programs. For more on Kim and her show, go to her website, KimberlyRinaldi.com. That's R-I-N-A-L-D-I.com. Then join us for Lessons in Joyful Living with your host, Kimberly Rinaldi. have a lot of spizzerinktum or the will to win, and you have a strong desire to be a part of your favorite sports team, the National Hockey League might be for you. Did you know that if both goalies on an NHL hockey team are injured, anyone at the game is eligible to step in and play the part? Teams have resorted to using their coaches, team owners, and even their web designers to fill in for injured goalies. It's as simple as slipping into your breezers or hockey pants. The original hockey puck was made out of frozen cow dung. The fastest puck shot on record was clocked at 114 miles per hour. And I'd like to take this opportunity to send out a special thanks to the men and women of our armed forces serving our country around the world. It's I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. We're back. Now here is your host, Lee Richardson. So mindful aging, you know, we all talk about being mindful, staying present in the moment. But when you start talking about mindful aging, it's a little bit different. And Leslie and Amanda wrote a book, Aging with Care. And they, I think they probably share a lot of their, their own hard knocks. So tell us a little bit about how that book came together. Amanda? Well, I mean, Leslie, you have the great story to tell about <laughs> okay. how things started. So why don't you why don't you tell a little bit about your um, fascinating story and then how we decided to write this book? Okay. So Amanda and I both worked at a wonderful um, community mental health for people 55 and older, and then uh, we both moved on from that into different directions. And Amanda has uh, become a very well-established geriatric care manager. And um, I called her from my parents' house in Virginia and said, I cannot believe what's happening. I have hired this wonderful caregiver who, within a year, ended up stealing money from both of my parents and uh, things out of the home and this person came so highly recommended by a physician and by a home health nurse that I admired very much. So I didn't even run any background check. And Amanda, I was, I was kind of sobbing and telling Amanda my story. And she said, Leslie, I would never hire a caregiver privately. And so that 
was the beginning of our writing Aging with Care, your guide for hiring and managing caregivers at home, because we knew that if we were pretty experienced uh, in our field and we had this big difference of opinion, um, then other people might be facing the same thing. So that's where we came from in the story. And even after my terrible experience, I learned a lot of strategy and technique to um, really do a better evaluation up front of people that I was hiring to help care for my parents. And um, I still would prefer to do that, except that I've run out of steam on that part at this point. (laughs) And, you know, we go into that in detail. I mean, many people do hire privately, not through a licensed company and they have a lot of success and they end up paying less and that's that's really the main reason well they want some degree of control but they also want to pay less and and they have success but i think leslie's story is is not the only story and there are plenty of people who have hired a good friend in the neighborhood or a church member and things have not gone well. And I think that people vastly underestimate the amount of work that it takes to manage caregivers in the home privately. Oh, I know you're right. And everything that I see, you know, with with taking care, it's not, they think, okay, well, I can drive you to the doctor or, okay, you know, I can come cook a meal for you. But it's so much more than that. It's those everyday tasks that you don't really think about. You know, well, I don't want to wash your dishes. Well, somebody has to. Or I never thought you'd need my help taking a bath. You know, it's those everyday things that we don't think about when we say, sure, I would love, you know, to come over and and help you make a meal. Or, you know, I can open your your mail for you and sort it. But it's just those little things, those everyday tasks that was where I see those are the things that nobody wants somebody else to do for them. Right. Mm-hmm. It's really, and you really just touched on it, it's that personal care. It's, you know, uh, everything having to do with getting dressed, to going to the bathroom, to bathing. Those are activities of daily living that are essential for good health, for um, socialization. And as adults, we don't even consider that a possibility until we have to. And um, that is where it's a big sticking point for a lot of people who maybe their parents need that care and they don't know how to address it because they never have, or it's the older adult who absolutely has very set boundaries and doesn't want anyone to lay a finger on them (laughs) when that's actually essential for them to have. And Lee, I think you touched on something earlier that oftentimes family members have no idea how much help a parent might need. They may live out of state. They may visit infrequently. Of course, mom and dad are going to say everything's fine. I'm taking care of myself. And then they have they make a visit and they take a look at the condition of the house. They open up the fridge and see spoiled food. Um, and so I 
think that often we don't know that somebody needs help. I mean, my parents are great at disguising what they need. They they don't want to to burden me or my sister, you know, and we live in the same city. And I I can never truly believe what they're telling me, you know, because, I mean, I appreciate the, the motivation behind it. I appreciate the feeling behind it. It's like, oh, we don't want to trouble you kids. Well, you know, when dad takes a fall and, and ends up in urgent care, we find out anyway, you know. I mean, I'd rather know the small things that are leading up to the crisis rather than being called when a crisis occurs, but it, it's just, it's tough. Well, it is tough, and it's tough for the it's tough for the whole family because I think, you know, once we, some people, it's very hard to say, yes, I need help. And when they do, well, you know, I just need a little bit of help. I just need a couple hours a day. But then, you know, I don't know what you, the average hourly rate is for a home health care worker. Is it $20, $25 an hour? Yeah, it depends or more. on if you hire privately or through a company. Um, and so and it's again, more like twenty-five to thirty. I, yeah, it could be definitely. So, would if if you're hiring a few hours of help every day, I mean that could get it up to around three thousand, thirty-five hundred dollars a month. Do you have to ask yourself the question: Would the money be better invested in a residence? Um, yes. or assisted living? I mean, that to me would be a mm-hmm. hard question. Well, I think that's sort of the the breaking point is when families are exceed or, or start to equal or exceed the cost of what assisted living would be in their community, they have to ask themselves if that's a safer and better option. And this is, again, where that advanced communication with your family, which we want you to think of as your team, is becomes very critical because if all the players have an understanding of what the financial assets are or are not, then that can be a decision. That's very helpful in making that decision when you get to that point. Um, and, it, you know, it, it is so fascinating for us um, as uh, professionals who help families to see the different dynamics that play out. Um, For example, if you and one of your parents have had some issues um, and one person is more controlling or a family member is in denial, these decisions can get put off and punted down the field even longer. Um, For example, you know, what Amanda was talking about, she and her sister are both in the same town with her parents. But time and time again, we see siblings who are facing the music in town with their parents and an out-of-state sibling comes in who somehow in the family history has sort of played the role of being the hero and comes in and says, oh, dad is fine. I talked to him today and everything is good. You all are getting way ahead of yourself thinking that he needs to move. And, you know, and in fact, dad has fallen and is not telling the hero (laughs) about this and, and so forth. Or the opposite will happen. 
where a person that you're seeing on a day-to-day basis, sometimes the changes are not so dramatic to you. You you sort of um, become accustomed to them or you've rationalized why mom has slowed down while she hasn't had the opportunity to go to her her um, jazzercise class for a while or something like that. Where And then the out-of-state sibling comes in and says, oh, my gosh, can you see that the house hasn't been cleaned? Do you see that the mail hasn't been opened? And it's it's just everybody has sort of a different point of view, but the more opportunity people have to communicate and discuss those changes or non-changes together, including that older adult, is, is really helpful. Yes, I Oh, I agree with that so much. And, you know, what I advise families to do, if at all possible, and I'm not saying this is easy, but before assisted living is even on the table, not even an option, go visit a couple. Just, you know, go for lunch. Because what what is more likely to happen is when you get to the point where you're considering assisted living, you haven't visited, you haven't talked about it, like Leslie says, you know, mom or dad is going to say, well, I'm not going to assisted living. That's like being in a nursing home. And it's not like being in a nursing home. I mean, it's completely different than a nursing home. But until people can actually be in the community, meet the staff, have lunch, see what the activities are, it, it may make that transition easier when the time comes because they have a more positive image in their mind and not one that's sort of the stereotypical image. Well, and I think one thing that that type of environment really does allow for is that social life and companionship. I mean, having that freedom to say, oh, I think I'd like to come sit with you and have dinner tonight. Um, And having someone to, to have coffee with in the morning. Those are experiences that we really cherish. Yes, and I think that what people, yeah, I think what people don't realize Sometimes, and I'm not saying assisted living is perfect or it's for everyone, but what a lot of people don't realize is when you have caregivers coming into the home, you are losing a lot of your privacy. You know, the advantage that assisted living has is you have your own apartment. You can retreat. You can have privacy. um, And when you have caregivers coming into your home every day, you're giving up a lot of that privacy. I have a couple of clients who live in independent senior living and they probably should be in assisted living and they're becoming frustrated by the number of caregivers that are coming in the home, especially the husband. He's just like, well, I just can't stand all these caregivers coming in. I don't have any privacy. You know, I can't have my meals on my own. Um, so I think sometimes people don't consider the, the management and the privacy issues around caregivers coming into the home. Nothing more personal than your home. That's exactly. that's where that's where our kind of soul resides is in our home. And you know, and let's just say you have a couple of caregivers that you really don't like, and you don't have any choice about it. I mean, I'm I'm sure that happens. Well, mm-hmm. I sort of had a a time with caregivers. It took I had to invest so much energy to hire someone Um, and I could talk for an hour about how you make appointments for interviews and someone doesn't show up. That's very common these days. 
Um, but it also, in order to fire someone, took an even bigger toll on me. And I can I confess, I was not the best manager that way. I was a real pushover. Um, so we we kind of came up with a phrase, well, she's a good enough caregiver. Even though my father didn't like her, she was good enough. She She was reliable. She showed up on time and she did the job. So, yes, that's exactly true. Um, I was also thinking um, in terms of this family communication, and even if you don't have adult children, just your planning needs to start as early as possible. Um, Amanda and I are uh, finishing up a book, in fact, uh, hope to have it published soon, and uh, the title is Choose Your Place, Rethinking Ooh, Home I like as that. You Age, because we just became, became aware, well, Yes, we believe in aging at home as possible, but we also know a lot of people who are making other things work. And one of the things that we found was that certain older adults have a better outcome if they have a mindset that is more flexible about making some changes and accepting that change is going to happen as you age. Um, for example, um, and, and families, knowing this ahead of time could work better because they already had discussed, well, if that happens, that's dad's limit. He agrees that he would go into assisted living if that happened, that kind of thing. Well, you know, you bring up flexibility, and that's one of the things that as we age, we lose our mental flexibility. And part of that is, you know, the, the brain, the way it's wiring and firing, it has a use it or lose it pattern. And if you're not using that and if you're not creating flexibility in your life, you're, it's not going to keep it. And as we age, you know, we tend to start to do things more the same way, which makes sense. We don't try as many new things, and that's one of the things that I talk about in my book, Turn Your Brain On to Get Your Game On, is how you keep that brain learning, how you keep that flexibility, whether it's learning a new language or learning how to paint or working crossword puzzles. Um, you know, this just keep that brain in a learning mode, and that will help with the flexibility. And yes, older I, people I, I, are not yeah. known for being flexible. So, so that's <laughs> why we want to really emphasize that to say you might want to rethink that a little bit. Amanda, I, I interrupted. Yeah, no, 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 you're fine. I, um, you know, it, it's we're in an unusual sort of unprecedented situation right now because so many of the senior living communities are pretty locked down in terms of their activities and their and people's ability to be able to get out of their apartments and but under normal circumstances which I hope we return to soon under normal circumstances what I advise people you know some of the inflexibility I think that we see with older people is you know they they say well no I don't want to try that or no I don't want to go to that that activity and what I say to people is, well, you have nothing to lose. You know, just just try it. Trying new things doesn't mean that you're necessarily making some sort of lifetime commitment. 
But what it might mean is that it's opening the door to something that's interesting to you that you never would have thought of. And I think that is really the key. You know, you have to kind of fight with yourself in a way by saying, well, you know, I'm more comfortable in my apartment or in my home, so I don't really want to go out and do that. But if you make yourself do it, if you set little tiny goals for yourself every day, you know, either talk with somebody on the phone, learn something new um, on the computer, go to an activity that you normally wouldn't do, anything that, that works your brain is going to be to your benefit. I totally agree with that. And I think anytime you're doing something for somebody else really does not only warms your heart, but it makes you feel important and getting involved. Maybe you don't really care about learning how to knit, but maybe the lady over there, the only reason she's there is because you're there. And if you have the, you know, if you're going to show up, I'll show up. So there's, you know, there's, we've got to have different ways that we look at things instead of just, no, I'm not going to do that. You know, what, what can I do? And maybe if I'm not doing it for me, maybe I'm doing it for you. Wow. That feels pretty good. Mm -hmm. And it goes to that, as you mentioned before, the sense of purpose, every human being on the planet needs to have that. And especially, I think, older adults, because they have a lifetime of knowing what that means. And, and they are so much more sensitive to losing a sense of purpose in the world as they get older. So, yeah, mm -hmm. I think that's a great point that even if it's not for yourself, it might be for someone else that you are a buddy to. And, um, yeah, that, that makes a huge difference. And, you know, I think I would be remiss if I did not mention um, that there is so much research, and I'm going to use the word activity in place of exercise, that there is so <laughs> much research that shows that activity, physical activity, improves your mood. And there was an article that I read just yesterday that used the word resilience. So if we compare sort of, I think the terms flexibility and resilience are related, that mm -hmm. it looked at a study that showed that, well, yes, they were mice, but still, that the <laughs> mice that mice that had increased activity had better resilience. They were able to withstand stress. And I think that sometimes it's I understand the challenges of being, you know, locked up or cooped up, but if you can get any kind of activity, whether it's walking the halls or um, getting a physical therapist to come in and help you with balance and strength, um, just just really simple things. I mean, even, you know, cleaning your house or if you can get outside and work a little bit in the garden if you're still in your home, all of these things will really help your mood, they'll help any kind of medical condition that you have. I mean, there's just so much, there's so many positive things, but it, it's something that you really have to approach with caution if it's not something that you're accustomed to, like talking to your doctor about any, any special precautions that you should follow. But it, it's still something that I feel should be mentioned. Oh, absolutely. Exercise releases endorphins. Endorphins make you feel good. But you make a good point, too. You have to be respectful of what your physical limitations are. 
and and stay within those because it's when we push ourselves too hard, I think, then we feel like, you know, well, I shouldn't have. Then we get into the shame and blame game. Well, I shouldn't have done that. Look what I did. I'm the one that, you know, I messed it up for myself. So it, we got those all those little negative thoughts going, and those negative thoughts are self-defeating. We all have them. Though they're so fast and furious that we've really got to stop to catch them. So we've got a few minutes left. And, you know, the, from Aging with Care or from the new book that's coming out, if I ask you ladies to, to each give me two points, two takeaways. Leslie, you're up. Okay. I really have our immune systems on my mind with the current pandemic. And I think that um, aging with care, we're all going to have to do whatever we can. And just as you were saying, no shame, no of feeling guilty, just do whatever little thing that you can because every activity that you do, even if you're a very sedentary person, if you can stand up more, set a timer so that you stand up every hour, that's going to help your metabolic system to reduce some inflammation and get a little bit healthier. Every little thing that you can do is good. Don't think of about it's a scorecard. Just do Just it. Just do it. Amanda? I think mine would, the, the main one I would say would be um, things are in your control. So take charge and take control of your life. And the other thing I would add is don't be afraid to ask for help. I think those are two really good points. And, you know, one of the th- the points I make with my clients is focus on what you can control because mm-hmm. you can control the things that affect you more directly. You can't control the weather. You can't control when we're going to quit wearing masks. You can control how many times you wash your hands, you know. Um, so mm-hmm. I think you bringing up control is right on. Very important. The, for people that are interested in learning more about you, I've mentioned the website. It's mindfulaging.com. Is there any other way that, that you would suggest people reach out? We have a mindfulaging.com Facebook page, and we have some wonderful participants on that. And we try to post more hopeful things than things that will get you down as much as possible these days. <laughs> so it's yeah, a good place to go if we're struggling. Yes. Yes. Yeah, it's very positive. I think I think people will really enjoy the Facebook page. Well, I think any time that you you know you feel like, oh, they got it worse than I do <laughs> it makes me <laughs> it makes me feel a lot better to be honest. Or if I go somewhere I'm like, wow, that is so simple. How did I not think of that? You know, those are the things that that are invaluable. Yeah, and I think one of the things we like to focus on, um, especially with the Facebook page, is our stories of resilience. I mean, that's kind of the theme that runs through, you know, the 103-year-old who survived the virus, you know, and also survived um, the flu 
you know. That is a um, great, that's a great point to end on, the 103-year-old that survived. So yeah. my last comments are people need three things, something to do, something to love, and something to look forward to. Lee Richardson and the Brain Performance Center, we want to thank you for listening. If you'd like to hear more episodes like this, visit us on iTunes, Google Play, TogiNet, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spotify,